0: This morning, we are continuing our sermon series called Full Life, sermon series that comes really out of John chapter 10, verse 10, where Jesus says, I have come to give life and life to the full. And so we have this premise behind the whole series that all of our lives are full. The question is, what are they full of? They're full of what Jesus intends to give us, or they full of all sorts of other things that don't feel like life that is full and rich and deep and meaningful and beautiful. And so this series is really exploring what is the full life that Jesus wants to give us. This last week, I stumbled upon the new Lord of the Rings series on Amazon Prime, Lord of the Rings, the, the Rings of Power. And I, I love these stories. I love The Hobbit and the, the Lord of the Rings trilogy, these stories written by J.R. Tolkien uh, many years ago, but they've come to life now in the last decade in movies and shows, and this show continues in that line. And there's so many things that I think to love about these stories. And, and you know if you're not really into them i'm just going to nerd out for a second so you can check out and come back so you know i just, i love these stories because they are these epic stories of battles between good and evil these adventures and journeys these fantastical creatures unlikely heroes overcoming obstacles doing things they never thought possible These amazing portrayals of the human heart, the depths of the darkness and depravity, as well as the heights of glory and love and beauty. But I think one of the things that is most powerful throughout this whole set of stories is the relationships. In fact, actually, one of the books and one of the movies is called The Fellowship of the Ring. And in this story, there's this critical moment where the people of the world face a crisis, And these representatives of all these peoples, races, and creatures are gathered together to decide what to do. And it becomes apparent that they have to do what seems impossible. They have to take this ring, this evil ring, ring of power, into enemy territory and destroy it in a volcano. Well, the problem is this group of representatives, they don't really trust each other. They don't like each other. They don't all agree that this is the best course to be taking and mission to fulfill, and so conflict starts to boil and seems like it's gonna tear it apart before they even get started. And then suddenly, Frodo, a hobbit, a tiny creature, they're called halflings, the most unlikely of heroes, steps forward and says, I'll do it. I will take the ring, though I do not know the way. And stepping forward, he silences the conflict, and then one after another, all of the others rally around him. Where Gandalf the wizard comes, I will help you bear this burden as long as it is yours to to bear. And one of the men steps forward, and if by my life or death I can protect you, I will. An elf and a dwarf come, you have my bow and my axe. Right? There's this moment where they all gather together around this, this hobbit, this Frodo, and this mission. And the conclusion is that these nine companions shall be the fellowship of the ring. I mean, it's goosebumps kind of moment. <laughs> and here's the thing. Full life as God intends it for us is full of fellowship. It's overflowing with fellowship. And so we're going to step into that theme today for us through the lens of 1 John chapter 1. And so if you want, you can follow along on the screen as we listen to God's word speaking into our lives together this morning. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared. We have seen it and testify to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. This is the message we have heard from Him and declare to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And let us pray. Heavenly Father and this moment, will you be the one speaking, allowing us to not just hear, but to receive your word, to move toward fellowship with you and with one another. It's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen. So this passage comes from John's first letter, thus First John. And it's written by John, the same Apostle John who wrote the book of John or the gospel of John, and he wrote this letter to address a conflict that was happening within the church that was threatening to tear it apart, conflict that actually surrounded the identity of Jesus. And what we see in the opening of this letter is very similar imagery and language and themes as the beginning and opening of the book of John. And in both, John is making this strong claim that Jesus is the word of life. In other words, in Jesus, eternal life has been expressed clearly. In fact, eternal life, that life that has always been with the Father since before time itself, that life came into the earth in the flesh of Jesus the Christ, In other words, John is making this claim that Jesus is fully God and is fully man in the flesh. And John is claiming, I know this because of what I have heard from him, what I have seen from him. I've even touched him, so I know he wasn't just an apparition. He was in the flesh. You can trust me, what I'm saying, because I've seen it. I know it's true. But what we're going to focus on today is he gets to the purpose of his letter in verse 3. He says, I'm writing this, I'm proclaiming this to you so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Brings us right to that word fellowship. And what is fellowship though? I mean, if you did a Google search of what is fellowship, other than just dictionary definitions, you would find all sorts of listings for fellowship positions in medicine or government or at universities, these you know, highly esteemed, sought-after positions of growth and significance and influence. In churches, when we start thinking about that, sometimes fellowship has come to mean membership. Other times, it's come to mean Drinking a cup of coffee that may or may not have tasted very good as an excuse to gather around and chat with one another. Fellowship sometimes means simply greeting each other in churches. And those are all an aspect, but it's really tiny fractions and aspects of what is a much richer and deeper significant meaning. The word fellowship here in Greek is actually koinonia, and it's really hard to translate because it's so robust in its meaning. It comes from the root of of a word that means common or shared. Common as in, hey, we hold this in common or it's shared. And a number of the translations or the words that can be used when thinking about koinonia, I'll give you some. One is communion. And immediately our minds probably start to go to that sacrament that we experience. And in that sacrament, we experience union with, come union, union with Christ through the Holy Spirit. This unification. Participation is another word. In other words, this is an active thing, not a passive thing that we step into. We participate in sharing a common life together. Not just a common cup of coffee, but life in all of its richness and fullness, life day in and day out, in its ups and downs, joys and pains, highs and lows, sorrows, delights and celebrations, everything in between. And yes, we share some meals together, some trips to the beach, going shopping. All of life is wrapped up in fellowship, not just one sliver on one particular day. It's often used of business partnerships or to refer to when people own property together. In other words, fellowship inc- includes an intertwining of life that even can involve the finances. I mean, now we're starting to really meddle. As one goes, so the other goes. It's about shared enterprise or shared mission with each other. I mean, you might be able to start to see why was that, you know, ragtag group of people in that book called the Fellowship of the Ring, right? They had a shared mission that, that at first was the thing that brought them together, but then as they lived out that shared mission, they started to share common life. They walked together, they talked together, they ate together, they lived together, they got to know one another, they had deepening of relationships as they came to understand and even appreciate one another. They became committed not just to the mission, but to each other personally to the point that they were willing to sacrifice their own life for the sake of the other. It didn't begin that way, but as they participated in this mission and common life together, their fellowship grew and grew, and grew. See, this is the word John is using to describe what the life of the followers of Jesus is supposed to look like. Fellowship. And we're gonna dig into more of the significance of how that plays out kind of people to people on a horizontal level as this series goes on. This morning, we're going to focus on the other part of what John's saying because he's saying, hey, I'm writing this so that you'll have fellowship with us, but our fellowship isn't just with us. Our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And so we want to focus on what is that fellowship, particularly with the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. What does that mean? What does it look like? Because that's what we've been invited to. It's like the father and the son already have this perfect fellowship, this perfect, amazing, beautiful relationship, and they didn't really need us, and yet they invited us to come and participate in their shared life together. And so what was the life of the father and the son like? What was their fellowship like? As you think about what you know about the relationship of Jesus the son with the father, how would you begin to describe and characterize that life? As you start to explore the gospels, you get all sorts of, of glimpses of what that relationship is like. I mean, we see the father over and over again repeating at various points: this is my beloved son. You see a tenderness, an affection, a delight of the father in his son. I'm pleased with him, I'm proud of him. We see the father responding to the to the or the son responding to the father's affirmation with a joyful obedience, not an obedience that comes out of being afraid that if he doesn't do what the Father says, that the Father is going to punish him, but an obedience that comes out of having already experienced the Father's delight and pleasure. He wants nothing more but to make the Father happy, and so he obeys to make the Father happy, to please the one who is already pleased with him, this beautiful cycle of delight in one another. And a union, Jesus says, the Father and I are one. Shared heart, shared mind, shared desire. And that's the nature of the relationship that we're being invited into. Charles Spurgeon was a a preacher, sometimes called the Prince of Preachers in the 1800s. And he used an illustration to try to help uh, help his hearers understand more of the significance of, of this kind of relationship and dynamic. And so, he uses this image and he says, imagine, you know, you live in London, which would have been really easy for them because he was from London. So, you know, that would, that would have been easy. But living in London and this plague sweeps through London and people are just getting sick all over the place. And there's this father and this son who live in London and it's become their obsession to do everything that they can to bring healing and comfort and encouragement to those who are sick throughout the city. And imagine you're invited to come and live in their house. What would you notice? You might notice between this son a warmth and affection for one another. You might hear as they discuss what's going to happen today and what needs to happen tomorrow. You might begin to hear their heart and their passion for those who are sick. You might begin to see the son's willingness to joyfully do whatever the father wants him to do. You might hear their intentionality of choosing to continue to move toward those who are sick rather than bailing out of town. You might see the father's smile as the son heads out in the morning and then his delight as as he comes back through the door in the evening and they reflect on the substance of the day. And this is an inadequate picture, but just imagine that you're invited into all of that. And that is a good picture because God the Father and the Son are obsessed with pulling humanity out of a plague, a plague of lives that are full of all sorts of stuff that are leading to death and in its place wanting to give life that is full of joy and meaning and satisfaction and affection and warmth, right? This is the life that they've come to give. Oh, a life that is found in fellowship with the Father and the Son. What this, is, what this is not is this is not being invited to just believe in God. <laughs> Though that's so often kind of the, the language that we use and what we settle for collectively, culturally. Ah, yeah, I believe in God. That's not what Jesus is getting at. And, and I understand that this has come actually partially because of the church's kind of obsession with eternal life as this thing that happens after we die and you go to heaven. And so that it became this kind of baseline, you, you better in Jesus as your fire insurance, so that you don't go to hell when you die. But what this does is it strips life today of its meaning and its substance, and it puts all the hope only after we die. And what it misses is what John is getting at. Life here on earth is to be in fellowship with the Father and the Son, and in that fellowship, that's where eternal life is. John was saying eternal life came to us in the flesh, in Jesus Christ, so that eternal life could start now and could extend into forever. A life of beauty, a quality of life. In relationship with God today and forevermore. It's not enough simply to believe in God, because God made you for fellowship with Him, relationship with Him, to connect deeply with Him. Like we often think of God as this, the one who made all things, but really, he's kind of removed, stepped back from our everyday life. He's not really involved day in and day out, but this view defies what Jesus said and defies what John is saying to us, that God didn't just stay outside of human history. He entered into human history in the flesh of Jesus Christ so that we could have a relationship with him today. To be known by him, to know him, to share a common life with him, a life that is full life. If we come back to Spurgeon's image, if you're invited into this house to be a part of this intimate fellowship with the Father and the Son, to enjoy that, how would you grow into that? What would that be like? What would that process, what would that journey be like of growing in a deepening fellowship with the Father and with the Son? I mean, imagine at its kind of base level, which is what Spurgeon imagined, is that it had to begin with communication. I mean, can you imagine inviting someone, a guest, into your home to stay with you for an extended period? And what if they just kind of sat over in the corner and they never talked to you? How awkward would that be? And you might soon uninvite them from being a guest in your home, right? No, it's got to be in simple communication, right? To talk with God, to talk with Him not just talk at him, but to talk with him, to converse with him. Yes, to speak your heart and your mind, because he wants to hear from you, because that's what a relationship is like. But also, for him to speak his heart, his mind, to lead you, to guide you. And and you might be going, yeah, I, I don't have that experience. I'm not talking about the audible voice of God speaking into your life, though some have had that experience. I'm talking about a speaking that happens in the depth of our soul. Sometimes it happens in our mind. I'm talking about something that though it requires time and space to foster and develop. We can't just demand it. But I think if I'm honest about it, sometimes in my life, I show up in a moment and I expect God to speak like, I'm, like I have taught a dog, right? All right, speak. God, I'm here. Speak. God, I have this two and a half minutes. Speak. And God doesn't want to be demanded of, treated like a dog. He made us for fellowship, for sharing of life. Not a transactional relationship, but to enjoy participation with life, with him. And Spurgeon goes on to say, as communication begins... One of the ways we're going to grow in that fellowship is to begin to understand the significance and the nature of the work that the Father and Son are involved in. You know, asking those questions, what are you doing? What do you do when you go out there every day? Why? And even more than that, why are you doing it? You're going out and every day you're putting yourself in harm's way. Every day you're going out and you're risking taking on the sickness that is plaguing everybody else. Why would you do that? Because they're not even really grateful for it. And what you'd start to discover more and more is the heart of God, the nature of what love really looks like, that this is how we know what love is, that Jesus Christ would lay his life down for us. And then we'd start to not just understand, but we might actually begin to admire and appreciate and even adore this father and this son that are so consumed with loving those who are unlovely and unlovable and unworthy and ungrateful, but to see how they continue over and over again to pursue, to offer healing and wholeness and fellowship. Because it moves us. That kind of self sacrificial love. I mean, just think how many stories that you know, your favorite stories, involve some incredible measure of self sacrifice. And it's moving. And Spurgeon keeps pushing. He says, as you begin to understand and appreciate and admire, you may even be drawn into it. You may even realize, man, there's something so beautiful and so magnetic about that life. You may begin to want to participate in it because that's what full fellowship is, starting to participate in the mission, the shared life together. And if God is the God on mission, then it means we become the people on mission with God. It's not enough to say, well see you later, have a good day, you know, come back to dinner, but to begin to move out into the world, into those places where the people are sick and needing healing, needing a touch, and beginning to participate, and it's like, okay, I don't want to get in the way, but if I can be helpful, let me know, because we'll want to do what they're doing, because that's what fellowship looks like, as it deepens, and it deepens. The psalm we read earlier, there was this, this line in the psalm that says, delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Now, As a human, I just have to acknowledge that I often approach this, this, this passage, this particular verse, I like to take it out of context, first of all, but then I like to really zero in on, okay, he's gonna give me the desires of my heart. Okay, so how do I get the desires of my heart? Okay, I got a delight in him. Well, by definition, if I have it in that order, my delight is no longer in him, My delight is in the desires of my heart, and I want to use him to get those desires of my heart. What what is saying here, the psalmist is saying, to truly delight ourselves in the Lord, to become consumed with him, to participate in fellowship with him, such that his values become our values. His delight becomes our delight. His joy, our joy, his pain, our pain. And when that begins to happen, we delight in him that much, then he's going to give us the desires of our heart, because the desires of our heart become his desires. See, this is what fellowship looks like. Our hearts start to resonate with what God's heart is beating for, and we want to participate more fully in that. But Spurgeon realized there was a problem, and we may feel that too. Spurgeon knew that though we had been invited into the house to live there, the problem is we were infected with the same plague, and we were bringing the plague into the relationship. The plague of sinfulness, the plague of selfishness. John talks about it this way in the passage we read. If we claim to have fellowship with God, yet we walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. We bring a darkness with us into the relationship with God, and God is light. I think sometimes we choose to walk in the darkness on purpose, willfully. We choose ways of living that we know are contrary to what God wants for us. We choose to just kind of give in to the anger and excuse it later. We choose to justify the choices, the attitudes, the the things that we do in the moment, even though we feel and recognize the conviction that, yeah, that's not going to be the best for me or for other people. We choose that darkness. But I don't think that's the only darkness we can find ourselves in. See, I think he's saying we lie to ourselves. I think we can so easily live in a darkness that is like wandering off a path into a dark place. You know, that we can become so fixated and distracted by what's immediately for us, we forget to keep looking ahead and we end up in this dark place, this dark corner, and we're not even sure how we got there. Because there are all sorts of things in our world right now that are offering us distraction that are causing us to drift from the fellowship that we're intended to have with God. These messages and pressure to align our lives with other affiliations, to have fellowship with other things greater than our fellowship with God. I mean, that's the reality of our political climate, demanding loyalty to that fellowship. It's the reality of the things that we hold in our pockets that's constantly putting things in before us. I've got six notifications right here since we started demanding our attention, our distraction, leading us away fellowship with the father and the son into darkness and we didn't even know we got there. There's the narrative of what is the good life that makes life worth living. That puts so much pressure from the youngest among us. You, you got to get good grades and you have to be overcommitted to all your extracurriculars so that you can get into a great school so that you can then go get obsessed with getting good grades so that you can get out of college and get a great job so that you can get enough money so that you can begin to stand on your own, get your house, get your boat, get your whatever you want so that you can have a good life that's worth living. And not one of those pieces anywhere along the way is inherently a problem. And yet, it can easily be the distraction that leads us into darkness rather than to fellowship with the Father and the Son as we participate in the full life and the mission that He would have for us. But John says if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, His Son, purifies us from all sin. Though we have a tendency to outright rebellion, though we have a tendency toward waywardness and distractibility, it does not have to destroy the fellowship that we were made for because the gift that God has given us, Jesus the Son, has taken on the plague of our sinfulness. He took on the darkness on that cross. Did you know that when he was being crucified that literally darkness covered the sun from noon to three? he took our darkness and our plague and our sins so that we could be restored to fellowship with him so that we could have common life participation shared mission affection and intimacy with the father and the son and I think the question I want to leave you with this morning is having been invited into that having been purified and restored to fellowship how can you sustain it how will you continue to invest in that fellowship, that relationship, that connection with the God of the universe who wants a relationship with you? See, John, I think, gives us one way or one image of, of how to do that. John was saying, hey, I'm, I'm testifying, I'm proclaiming to you what I've heard, what I've seen, and what I've touched. In other words, John had spent time with Jesus, you know, he had spent three years physically living with Jesus. He wasn't just one of the 12 disciples. He was one of the three, the most intimate inner circle with Jesus. You know, and, and when I start talking about that, I know it's easy for us to go, yeah, well, that, that's great for John. But I haven't seen Jesus lately with my eyes. I haven't touched him, that's for sure. But here's the crazy thing John says in the passage we read. He says that our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. He didn't say it was He's talking about present tense reality that his fellowship today is with the Son. And it's happening through the Spirit of Jesus, his Holy Spirit that unites us to him. So that that fellowship can be sustained with him. So, how can we be intentional about offering that time, that space, that reality of what's needed to be with him? When will you spend time with Jesus? You know, will it be in the morning? You know, so I know some people have this incredible amount of guilt and weight and pressure because they've been told you have to spend time in the morning, and if you don't, you're doing it wrong. Take that pressure off of you. If that doesn't work, Fine. Maybe the evening is the time where you can carve out to really be intentional about spending time with God. Maybe it's lunchtime. Maybe it's your breaks at work. Maybe it's in the car as you drive. I need to shut off the podcast and shut off the music and just allow myself to be present to God who is present with me and wants fellowship with me. Because we're being invited into this fellowship with him. I'll just be really honest with you. This has been a hard message for me to prepare and preach this week. Because of my real concern about the hypocrisy that would come out of my mouth. Because life is full. But is it full for me of that time with God to invest in the fellowship He wants for me? Not in the way He's inviting me to. I've heard throughout this week over and over again, this invitation from God, hey, when are we going to spend time together? I want to spend time with you. I've had to stop myself, even if it's just for a moment, here and there, to be intentional about reminding myself of the connection that God wants with me, that he's offered to me through Jesus Christ, to carve out that space and that time, to spend deep and extended time, but even just to check in throughout the day. Because I know my soul needs and even longs for the fellowship with God, and yet our lives are so busy, so distracted, That it can be challenging. So, how will you invest? How will you invest in sustaining the fellowship that God wants with you? Maybe it's in prayer, maybe it's singing, maybe it's in His scripture. How will you spend time with Him today? Beyond being in worship, how will you sustain the fellowship? Because you're made for a relationship with the Father and with the Son to connect with Him, not just to believe in God, not to do work for God, but to connect with Him and share life with Him. His heart, His values, His priorities, His affection, His joy. That's fellowship. That's life that is full. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we acknowledge so many things going on in our lives, so many pressures, so many habits, so many things that, that go against. We have this longing and desire for fellowship with you, and yet we have these other things pulling at us, distracting us, moving us away from you. Lord, help us. Help us as we confess walking in the darkness. Bring us into your light. Purify us. Give us that, that gift of your grace As we communicate with you, may we hear you more and more. May we have that experience, even if we've never had it before, of knowing without any doubt that you're the one speaking and leading us. That you're the one that is moving in our life. Lord, as we carve out space and time, will you meet us there? Not because we are demanding it, but because as we step toward you, we trust that you've made us for that relationship, and you will step toward us as you did through Jesus taking on flesh. Lord, we want to know the fellowship with you, to know the full life that is in you. Lead us, in Jesus' name, amen.